Exodus chapter 20, reading from verses 1 to verse 17. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in the heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to this thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your town. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rest of the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honour your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or male, or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbour. Amen. Thank you, Frank, for coming to speak to us. I'm going to set a timer, which I know might be dangerous, but I'm allowing myself 17 minutes. That's good. Okay. <laughs> just the time gets eaten up with all of our preliminaries when you have so much to say to such a wonderful looking group. Um, I am almost blind right now. Uh, I had cataract surgery, so you in the back row I see clearly, you in the front row I can hardly see at all. But that's your loss. That's my I love this school, and I love the leadership that's in this school, and I love getting to the place where I can love the people who learn in this school. And all of that takes time, and, uh, uh, but when I come here, I, I know I popped in and wondered if I was late, and, uh, late, and there was a young woman, and I just said, uh, hello to you, and she said hello to me, and I felt greeting in, the, in what I call the house of the Lord, and so I'm glad you're here. Uh, my beginnings when, in this kind of work, being a pastor, uh, started before I ever went to school, uh, in a little church in Cedar Lake, Yarmouth. And, uh, um, and I was there for a summer, which led me to go to a, a place that had huge impact on my life in Grangeville, came to the station in Gallagher Ridge uh, in the early 60s. And uh, there I lived with a farmer uh, by the name of Harold Ward. And Harold was an old deacon, full of compassion, who put me to bed 
early on Friday and got me up early on Saturday for devotions, breakfast, which was mostly sweet bread and, and tea, very healthy for you, of course. And then he said, we are now going to have devotions. We'd have devotions, and he would read and instruct. And he says, now we're going out to visit some people. And uh, he would take me for a walk down the road. And this was his instruction to me. He said, you're a young pastor. He says, I'm going to knock and talk, and you're going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> and he would knock, someone would come to the door, and he would talk. It was a significant conversation. He had never allowed himself to go in. But before he left the door, those people knew something about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd go to the next house, and he would say the same word as we walked up the driveway. He'd say, no, Frank, you're a new pastor. I'm going to knock the talk, and you're going to listen. And we went through this exercise for three or four houses until we came to the fifth house, or thereabouts. And he says, now you're going to knock, and you're going to talk, and I'm going to listen. So I knocked, and I had a talk. It was over, and we walked out the driveway, and while we were heading to the next house, he said this to me. He said, I think I will not talk. I better listen. <laughs> that set the tone for my ministry. And what I learned very quickly is that, you know, we have an enormous amount of power and influence in the lives of people just by virtue of being engaged in a relationship that is framed by boundaries. Harold was teaching me a set of boundaries within which to live in. You are in this school learning something about ministry, and I want to encourage you. You're in your last kind of run at this season this year. What's going to happen between now and uh, in the end of April when things end is not going to be easy. I was told by one of your professors who was encouraging me to encourage you to say, tell them it's going to be a hard go. <laughs> <laughs> but if you live within the boundaries of your responsibilities as a student, engaging one another in your professorship, there is a large measure of, of uh, influence that will be put on you that will guarantee for you a successful journey. But you must stay within the boundaries. This is not only true within the context of the academic community, but it's also true within the context of your spiritual development. We all need to have a series of mentors around us. I don't know whether you read the manuals from other denominations, but I was reading in a manual called The Banner from the Reformed Church of America, and they have a whole article there on what's going to happen in their denomination relative to students going in ministry. And what they're doing is they're aiming to ensure that before you can go to seminary, you're actually in the church. You're actually under the tutelage of old elders and old deacons, people who have had a history of being involved in the Word of God and being in the presence of the Father. And your academic training will be subsequent 
to your spiritual development that's happening within the community of faith. It'd be interesting over the next number of years to see what happens to the Reformed Church of America as they, as they treat their students in a new way in their educational process. I say all of these things to say to you this, that Jesus assured those of his days that he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He didn't come to break through the boundaries. He came within the boundaries to become the most successful voice that God could have in his time to the people he sought to serve. So he gave his followers careful instructions. He taught them lessons. He ensured by practice of his teaching that they viewed a dramatic demonstration of how those instructions worked out. They watched him live. That's how they learned. He insisted on an internship and an intentional experience at the task. And he encouraged his followers to participate in what he called the truth. They participated in him who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then he held assessment moments. He debriefed their experiences to ensure that, that what was going to come next uh, fell into that corrective thing that we made mid-course correction so that we find ourselves not breaking the fence of the boundaries that are set. Mm -hmm. See, Jesus established clear directives and noted specific boundaries for his followers' ministry. He engaged them, and then he deployed them. I believe the boundaries Jesus established are the same essentials for successful ministry for you and for me. And I am using the lessons from the law to help us understand just what those boundaries are. And so I want to share with you four very, very essential boundaries. Now, you need to know, you need to write this stuff down, because this is important stuff. <laughs> Where's your pad and your pencil? <laughs> if you haven't got something like that solidified in your heart and your mind, because these are important, they come out of what he said, I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. He came to demonstrate. He came to see how when we work through boundaries, the maximum effect can happen in terms of our reaching people for Christ. I want to tell you that the Ten Commandments frame an excellent piece of material that help us to understand these boundaries. For instance, in that first law, which is really a series of five laws, he, he, he says this, I want to have an exclusive relationship with you. That's what those laws are all about. God does not want to have anyone take precedence over him in your life. Not your professor. Not church history. He wants to have complete attention. Those things ought to emerge of importance into your life because he's important in your life. And so he just plainly says, no other gods. No images. Don't abuse his name. And you ought to ensure that his day in your life is not violated and is kept sacred in a relationship with him. The problem with our setting today is that God doesn't have that kind of a relationship with us, usually. 
There are all kinds of agenda items in our lives that take his place. And what I'm discovering as a, a man who is growing older and older and becoming more monkish in my approach to life, <laughs> because I am becoming that, what I'm discovering is, is that my relationship with God actually defines everything I now do. And I'm asking of you that your relationship with God defines everything you do. And when you do that, you might discover that what you're doing now is irrelevant and that he has something more relevant for you to be a part of. Not only must you have an exclusive relationship with the Father as the law is trying to apply, but, but it's, it's rather interesting when you get to the fifth commandment, which, when people ask me, what kind of a Christian are you? Are you an evangelical Christian? Are you a liberal Christian? Are you a fundamental Christian? What kind of Christian are you? I usually say I'm none of those. I'm a fifth commandment Christian. I, I love that statement in my life because, you see, what, 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 what the author is trying to say is you, you ought to have an embracing relationship with your family. Now, family can be defined by a variety of things. I mean, I have a nuclear family. Mom, dad, brothers, sisters. I even have an extended family. Uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, nieces, that kind of thing. I also have an academic family. It's all seated up here in the leadership of, of Acadia Divinity College. I have a spiritual family. I have a family that's in, in, in the context of my church, uh, Wolfville Baptist Church. Services at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, you're all welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, so the point is here, is I have an embracing relationship with family. And it is a boundary that gives me an unbelievable promise. Because you see, I want to have a long life with my nuclear family. I don't want it broken in any way. Sin breaks families up. We live in such an individualistic world today that the whole idea of father and mother have become abusive terms in our context because we've allowed sin to grieve every aspect of our lives. But God never meant it that way. He meant it to be part of the social welfare system of our lives. And he, it, it ought to be ongoing. I, I look after a 94-year-old father. Frank is quite healthy. He looks after himself. But... Uh, I like to think that I look after him. Uh, and uh, my son, Jonathan, who is deaf, lives in Calgary, once asked me, he, he, says, he says, Dad, why do you love Papa the way you do? And I looked at him and I said, Jonathan, you just watch. <laughs> because when I am old, I'm coming to live with you. And he looks at me, he says, Dad, wake up. I'm going to build a very, very small house. The point I'm making here is, is you see, the death of a mother and a father in our relationship is a loss of wisdom. The death of a brother and sister in relationship is a loss of partnership. The death of fraternal relationships of whatever kind they are is a loss of community support. You see, the death of my academic family is, is, is losing the privilege of learning and instruction. 
The death of a church family is, is, is the loss of mutual support of spiritual development. The death of my social welfare and my social encounter family is, 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 is the death of my community encounter. You have to understand here, if you want to lose those things, you don't want them to die. You want them to have everlasting life. And when you nurture it, you have a long life in all of those regards. Uh, let me suggest to you quickly a third thing here is, is that, you know, we're not only called to an exclusive relationship with the Father, an embracing relationship with the family, but, but we're called to a collaborative relationship with the community. And that's what these four, what I would call, very poignant laws are. It's, 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 about, it's about murder, anger. It's about adultery, sexual fantasy. It's about theft and borrowing. It's about false witness, telling the truth. Um, uh, it, it's rather interesting to me. Jesus reinterpreted all this in the New Testament. He says, you may murder, and you may be found guilty for that, but I want to tell you, you kill people just by being angry at them. And what he's really addressing here is, is that we ought to be a community of faith that's interested in justice and mercy. That's what this is all about. You know, you know, for goodness sakes, let's do it right. And let's be full of grace and understanding. You know, this whole business of our, our world, I, 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 I tend to be a bit crass when it comes to this. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's the whole idea that we live in a world that's really very abusive. You know, I mean, lo loyalty, respect, fidelity, monogamy, faithfulness, purity. These are things that are pillars of the community. You know, and we ought to be living with, uh, on top of these as foundations for what's going on in our lives. But instead what we experience is, is the collapse of, of, of community life because we don't hold on to those. We've become very individualistic and, 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 and collaborative kinds of things are starting to disappear. The whole idea of, of an honest relationship with the people that we encounter in community where, where you know, we'd rather steal take something that does belong to us and never give it back. We borrow and we forget to return. You know, we see these things as being, you know, not very serious, but without a conscious effort to return our possessions and people's possessions and reputations, we are in danger of losing the power of the gospel to impact large groups of people because we are not community effective. It's even, the rug is even pulled in, uh, out uh, with, uh, from under this by, 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 by just not being truthful in our relationships about people. You know, false witness is a, is a dangerous item. I mean, our news is just, is, is just replete with this kind of thing. Declaring what in fact you know, not what you think. Or even what you believe. Facts, not assumptions, are the things that make community work. And so, you know, the reason this community works is because uh, you live by that. Finally, let me say this to you. You know, we, we talk about an, a, an, an exclusive relationship with God, an embracing relationship with community, collaborative relationship with uh, uh, family, collaborative relationship with community. Now, a, a relationship of integrity with yourself. A professor by the name of Stokesbury, a historical professor here, found a real, real difficulty in, 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 my, in my academic life when I was here. He discovered that I was, oh, it's all gone. i got to stop. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, let me quickly do this. Uh, he discovered I was dyslexic. You know, and, and he, 
engaged the opportunity for me to do my exams orally because I, he couldn't read my he couldn't read my writing. It was unintelligible. But I had to promise that I would go to the education center, and in so doing, I would get involved in a program that would help me read better. And then, then came along Jim Perkin, and he said, I got another answer for you, too. He said, I'm going to give you a book. And so he gave me great expectations out of his library. You know, and he said, now he says, this is going to be, I want you to read every word in this book, but I want you to read it in front of a mirror out loud every day. Do you know something? Those two men saved my academic life. They saved my academic life. What they were willing to do is, they were willing to ensure that uh, I had the capacities to be able to have a relationship with myself that had integrity. You know, doing what we know is right. The courage uh, to avoid doing when, uh, to, uh, the courage to, to avoid the doing when we are not sure it's right. Focusing on an amazing mandate given in Malachi 6 and 8. And he has told you, oh man, woman, student, professor, uh, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly before the Lord. Look, there are just so many things I'd like to say to you, and I, I no longer have time. I want to honor what's here. But let me tell you this, as, as I just make my final, final, I can't final statement. Um, <laughs> and, and it goes like this. You know, Jesus, Jesus said, you know, love God with all your heart. Be passionate in that relationship. Love God with all your soul. Be intentional about your relationship with Him. Love God with all your mind. For goodness sakes, have a sensible religion. Think about it. Work it out. And then love God with all your strength. With energy, energetic energy. Just go and do something. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.